Imagine being present, calm, and connected while creating a family environment where everyone can thrive. Welcome to the I Am Mom Parenting Podcast, providing inspiration and actionable steps to manifest the meaningful and magical life you desire for you and your family. We are your hosts, Dimple Aurora, founder of Mindful Evolution and Shaista Fateli, founder of Thrive Kids. Thank you for sharing the I Am Mom journey with us. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to our first episode of the I Am Mom Parenting Podcast. We're so excited that you're here, and we're going to give you an opportunity today to get to know us a little bit better. Yeah, and so we're going to be able to talk about why we're here. We're going to talk about why it matters so much, and we're going to also give you a little bit of background about each one of us. It's so exciting, right? That we're actually doing this first episode. I am so excited and I'm so excited to share everything that we have come together with and the knowledge that we bring together and share it with, with everyone else. Yeah. You know what? It's been a few months in the making for us. We had this idea earlier in the year and it's been a big project, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it wasn't even at the beginning of this year. It was more like November 2020. <laughs> We're sitting here at um, April 2021 right now. But mm. the reason it took so long is because we wanted to make sure that we had the right material, we have the right content, and we want to make sure that it's meaningful for you. Yeah, and that we're actually speaking to the topics that are most important to you as moms right now, uh, driven moms who are motivated to create magical family environments for your family and for yourself. Now, I often find when I listen to podcasts, there's so much information there. But for me, it's so important to have actionable steps. And that's why I think it's so important to do that for you and to make sure that there are practices in here, which we'll talk about that you can use right away. Absolutely. I think that's so important and to make it simple and to make it actionable. So that's what our goal is today. Um, well, with the podcast. And so why don't we talk about a little bit how we met? Yeah. So Dimple and I actually met and virtually, I might add, we haven't really, we, ha- we haven't met face to face, which is incredible since I feel like I've known her for years, but we met during our one of our coaching um, groups that we're in with with kids, and that's how we actually came together with similar passions that we have with for for empowering kids. We were able to see that we were had a lot of chemistry. And I actually asked Dimple to come on to one of my programs for Thrive Babies, where she was talking to many moms and talking to them about different ways in which to take care of themselves and build a thriving environment for their babies. That was really fun. And I was really happy that you asked me to be a guest 
uh, presenter on your program. I mean, that was a 12 week program. I came on, I think for about four weeks, right? It was a great group. And, um, and because you did have a baby last year, why don't we tell them about that? <laughs> oh my gosh. So you know how long the pandemic it has been because it's the exact same age as my baby. So I had her right at the pandemic. It was interesting to say the least because it was so unexpected. And it was very challenging because that's when everything was shut down. The whole world was shut down. And all of these hopes and dreams that I had, these visions of taking her to play dates and, you know, stroller walks with other moms, that didn't happen. And so I had to get creative and decided to create something for her and have an opportunity for her to engage in different ways, which became really beneficial. And that's how, you know, having people like you on Thrive Babies and other people who are able to share their knowledge was so helpful for us moms during the pandemic when there was so much that wasn't in control. Absolutely. And I admire you for starting that during the pandemic. It was so needed at that time because moms need community and we need support. And everybody was feeling isolated last year. And last year, by the end of the year, to be honest, uh, my business actually picked up and I was feeling a bit burnt out. And then when this year started, uh, I got more focused and I feel like now, even though here in Toronto, we're on a lockdown again, uh, there's a bit more calm to it. And uh, although there's a lot, there's a lot of anxiety still happening there. People are now uh, used to used to this lifestyle. Yeah. And I think because we're seeing it as a new quote unquote normal that People are adapting. And what I find, though, is that there's either adaption or there's distraction and avoidance. And when that happens, that is when the anxiety starts to creep in and when we need specific resources or return to specific tools or coping mechanisms to help us through it. Yes. And you know, the, the strategies that we're going to share on this podcast are going to be so helpful during this time and are, are also evergreen strategies. Oh yeah. And you know, well, we have said in our intro that we do love modern day science and there's actually a term that's coined for kids right now. And they're called this Generation C. They're called Generation C because they are affected during COVID, right? And these are kids like babies all the way up to 11 years old. Some people are saying the teenagers as well, who whose lives have been turned upside down because of this pandemic. And these strategies that we're going to be using is and sharing on our podcast are going to help this generation because the world has changed and it will continue to change. And it is up to us parents to model that for our children, right? Because right now, what can we model? We can model resilience for sure. We can model uh, self-confidence 
and even teaching them from a young age not to have this up and down self-esteem. So really building their self-esteem from the inside out. And since a lot of us are home with our kids right now, it's an excellent time to start teaching them these strategies and these tools so that they can feel empowered and more in control despite the circumstances that are showing up around them. Yeah. And having a Effective coping strategies, I think, is also something that is so needed because it's so easy to go to coping mechanisms that aren't effective for us. And our kids see that. Like I, you, so Dimple, you have a daughter who's mm-hmm. older, and I have a I have a baby, but I also have a nine and a half year old. And the amount that she sees is incredible. And Now that I'm aware of that, I am becoming more consciously aware of the choices that I make so that she is shown effective strategies that will help her during these challenging times. For sure. My daughter's eight years old and there is so much that she calls me out on sometimes. And I think I'm so happy to have this little teacher. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's holding me accountable. And I, I, I see all children as teachers and I feel that they really are our greatest gifts and teaching us what we need to learn and, and how to step into our best selves. Yeah. And you know what? We're both teachers, right? So I teach uh, kindergarten, which I absolutely love. Kindergarten is a passion of mine. And it's been some, it's been a, a calling from the age of five. And the reason it's been a calling is because I have been taught so much teaching these young kids. And Dimple, you're a high school teacher. So I was a high school teacher and I actually haven't taught in about a decade, but there's a long story connected to why I stopped teaching. And maybe we can get into a little bit about our childhoods and our stories and share that with the the audience. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting for for our audience to know why you had to stop teaching. So I was born in Hamilton, Ontario, and my parents came to Canada in the early 70s. So they met here and they shared the most amazing love story. My mom came from Guyana, which is in South America, and my dad came from India. He was born in Jalandhar and, and raised in New Delhi. So all my ancestors are of Indian descent. And in fact, the ones who ended up in Guyana, they came as slaves from India. So there's a lot of ancestral trauma there. And what's interesting is that my parents had to actually fight for the right to marry because my mom came from a Muslim family and my dad came from a Hindu family. So it turned out amazingly, though, because I grew up in a household where I was taught the inclusivity of humanity. So despite religious affiliation, and we celebrated everything, including Christian holidays. And I really love that about my upbringing. So like Christmas and everything, hey, and Easter, all of that? Everything, everything. We celebrated everything. And we were always taught that 
there's a spiritual way to life despite your religion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, that's really great because when I grew up, we didn't celebrate um, uh, Christmas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Even in a, in a cultural uh, sense, we didn't celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, as a mother now, we do in a cultural sense, right? And to, as you said, um, increase awareness and inclusivity and in all traditions and cultures. Exactly. And I mean, I was born here, so I am Canadian. So our parents wanted us to integrate with the society that we were in, right? And so we were taught a lot about different religions. And even now I find in elementary school, my daughter's learning about so many different cultures and religious religions that we never learned about when we were young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were mentioning that she has a lot of classmates that celebrate Eid, right? Oh yeah. And um, that is really great. I think to bring awareness to all of that. Now where I am in Vancouver, it's actually not um as commonly known as um, I've learned from you where where you are in Toronto. Um, so I think that when when they're equipped, I think the kids to learn about the, when the kid, your own kids are equipped to speak about their cultures and their beliefs, it really gives them a sense of empowerment. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I also think that um, learning about other other cultures as well, right? It just broadens their viewpoint. Now, you also talked a little bit about your health. Yes. So my childhood was interesting. I was a child who grew up with many childhood ailments, right? So the common ones like eczema, allergies, bronchitis, asthma. But what was really unique is that I vomited every day for the first 10 years of my life. And I remember being shifted from doctor to doctor and nobody could figure out why I had this vomiting every day. And I suffered a lot of consequences for that. I mean, we grew up in a time when emotional regulation was not really a known thing for parents or for kids, right? And so I was always on many prescription medications like antibiotics often. And by the time I was in my early 30s, I had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So I was in chronic pain. At one point, it was taking me two hours to get out of bed. Some days I couldn't put my socks on. Some days the water from the shower would hurt my skin. And that cost me my career as a high school math teacher. So by that point... I was actually addicted to sugar. I had been suicidal twice. And when I thought back to my entire life up to that point, I don't believe there was a single day that I was not on some type of medication, some type of prescription drug, whether it was just an over-the-counter drug like a Tylenol or an antihistamine or a hard pain drug. Right. And uh, there were so many different pain drugs prescribed back then. And I remember at one point I was on um, uh, antacid medication for 15 years on and off. 
now learning that it was so dangerous for my body, right? So uh, I, I went through a lot of, I guess, um, ailments. And so always on some type of medication. And at one point I ended up having uh, these hives for three years, almost every day all over my body. And at one point in my mid twenties, my back was going out every uh, three weeks for about three or four days at a time. And I was commonly having chronic UTIs and yeast infections. And I ended up even having two random hip surgeries in 2010 and 2011 and uh, which the doctors were surprised about because they said that that condition only happened to male athletes usually. So a lot of interesting things were going on. And I always ended up going through the conventional medicine system and putting all my faith and trust in, in doctors. And so on my last day of teaching, I actually collapsed in the staff room. I never went back to teaching. But what happened instead was amazing. It was obviously part of my life path because it's led me to where I am now. I went on this fascinating healing journey after I left teaching and my motivation was to become a mother. So I couldn't find the help I needed in the conventional system. And to be honest, I couldn't find the help I needed even in the unconventional system. I was always very sensitive to therapies and treatments. And sometimes, you know, when they say you get worse before you get better. So some practitioners would turn me away because I didn't feel that or they didn't feel that they could help me. So I actually chose to dive in and study to heal myself. And that's when I went on to this path of learning uh, about nutrition and mindfulness and energy medicine and different healing modalities and life coaching. And what I did was I applied all the healing to myself. And what happened was amazing because I did heal and I felt better than I had ever felt in my life. I did get pregnant. I had the most beautiful pregnancy with my daughter. I was on a high afterwards. It was such an amazing experience. And that's how uh, Mindful Evolution was born because I thought back to how did I heal? I became very aware and mindful of what I was doing, what I was holding on to, how I was showing up in the world. And then I just kept evolving, evolving one thought and one emotion and one choice at a time. So I feel like that's how I actually healed. And that's how I came up with the concept of mindful evolution before I had my daughter. And then um, what happened was, as like, as I was healing, I went through many different layers of healing. So aspects like healing my gut and working on emotional trauma and, you know, getting to the point of radical forgiveness and even learning how to actually be in my own body for the first time in my life. I don't think I even knew what it was like to be 
centered in my own body until I was, you know, until I had gone on this healing journey, the whole idea of being grounded and centered healing is such an ongoing journey, right? In the last six years, I have had some challenges. I've had some, uh, some traumatic brain injuries. At one point I had a health setback in 2015, but I always say that universe is knocking me over the head to align me with my purpose, right? But it's such an ongoing process. And, you know, there's many aspects to it. And when the time comes, you then uncover another layer of healing, right? So I just feel so healed and, and so whole every day at this point. And I'm so excited to share all this information with anyone who wants to build real health from the inside out. That is, I actually have no words to describe what you said, other than complete resilience. That is just incredibly inspirational and inspirational from a source that just is incredible. The way that you were able to manifest what your desires and manifest your physical health into an optimal state is unfathomable, quite honestly. And you were able to do that coming from a place where you were on the ground, literally and figuratively, and you were able to stand up and stand strong in your power and be the woman that you are today, inspiring all of these other women, all of these other moms, all of these other children, It is incredible. And you're right. When you look back in the rear view mirror, you are able to see what has occurred. And you're able to see now at this point why it occurred and how it has led you to the path where you are right now. But often when we're in these moments, it is difficult to think about that. It is difficult to think that this is happening for a reason. And there's something bigger that's going to come out of it. And there are specific tools and skills that you are able to use in order to get you out of that state and get you to where you are today. And I am so excited. I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm just so amazed at what you can offer to the world and just looking forward to see how it's going to change lives. Oh, thank you so much. That is, it's, it is really is empowering. I mean, healing is an ongoing process, right? And I, I really feel like everyone has the power to heal. I mean, life is a series of ups and downs for everyone. Nobody, nobody gets off scot-free, right? Nobody. And it's what we take from it. It's what we learn from it. And, and really having the tools to deal with any adversity in our life is really the key, right? It's really the key. And I know that you also have a story to share from, from when you were young. And I would love to for you to share that too. Yeah. So 
I was actually born, so I'm a smiley Muslim, and I was born in East Africa um, to a mom and a dad who were super, super happy. Life was good back in Africa. My grandparents were there, and many people came from India to Africa. So my ancestors were actually from from Africa, um, and the ancestry is from India, but my ancestors did come from from Africa. And I was there for about 18 months, maybe, when we decided to, well, I wasn't part of the decision, but my parents decided to move to Canada. And the reason they had to move to Canada is because Kenya was in um, uproar as a result of uh, Tanzania with Idi Amin, um, basically not allowing people of South Asian descent to live there. And there was a lot of turmoil and it was best and safest to move from Africa to somewhere else that is safer. And Canada was uh, the, the safest place at that time. Point. So my parents gave up everything and came to Canada with literally, literally maybe about $20 in their pocket and were living amongst family that were, were living here. My dad had to work three, four jobs and we still had to go to the food bank. I don't remember this, but as I'm told by my mom, she would go onto the bus and go to the food bank and get food for for me. Uh, she was also pregnant with my sister at that point and really struggled, really had so many challenges because so many challenges were thrown at her. My dad worked and worked and worked. He eventually was able to become super successful and have his own business, but it wasn't without the struggles that he faced and without challenges that he faced. And my mom suffered a lot of emotional challenges as well and mental health challenges and wasn't able to be present for us growing up and with my uh yeah with my brother who is eight years younger than me he really didn't have a nurturing mom at the time and none of it was her fault it was the challenges that she was presented with however with me being eight years older, I took on that role. So essentially, I had to grow up at eight. And I was the one taking care of the family and taking on that family role. That led me now I know to a place of complete anxiety, and feeling as though I had to live up to an expectation 100% of the time. So I had to be the role model for my sister, for my brother, and be the role model in my family, the one who is going to get good grades, the one who is going to follow the rules. As I was growing up and when I felt as though I really had to live up to these expectations and when I wasn't able to, I was riddled, riddled with anxiety, riddled to a point where I couldn't eat, where I couldn't talk. So 
the social anxiety piece took over took over my entire being, my self-confidence, my self-esteem. And I'm talking to you right now and I absolutely love it because I know that there's a lot that I had to share, I have to share. And I knew that as a young person as well, but I did not have the tools or the strategies to help me overcome this or to become aware of what was happening in my body and my stomach was in complete knots and I could not eat anything. And I was just so um, frail at one point where everything that I did was felt like it was so heavy for me. And it took over my life, took over my life to a point where I wasn't able to accomplish anything. And there were points where I thought that I would be nothing. Fast forward a few years and I went through school and um, it's kind of something that I haven't let go of. I still go to school quite a bit, Um, but it led me to realize what my true calling was. When I was able to realize that I'm finding so much joy in engaging in teaching with kids and being in the classroom and making those connections and figuring out why that is so important for me, then I was able to come into my true self. Then I was able to heal. I was able to heal my past experiences. And there was a lot of trauma that I went through. And I know that you did as well. That we were able to, both of us, come out from the other end and realize that it does just take one person to help you. It takes one person to enable you to feel that you are good enough. And for me, there was a teacher. Um, actually, there was a, two teachers, Mrs. Zachs and Mrs. Glazner. I've never been able to track them down, but they were my grade three, four teachers and four or five teachers. And they purposely kept me in their classroom because um They saw potential in me, but they also realized that I needed another person in my life to guide me. And so they were able to to let me know that I had some potential. And uh, you won't believe it. They actually said that one day you're going to be speaking a lot. You have a lot to share and a lot of wisdom. So with their help, I was able to see that. And with the help of my maternal grandmother and my aunts and other family members who were able to give so much of themselves to me, I was able to overcome and I was able to use and learn strategies myself to get me to a place where I am today, where I can share this with my families that I work with and the children that I work with. Wow, that is such an amazing story. When I look at what you have gone through and to grow up at such a young age, right? And to not have that nurture and support from our mother roles the way that we needed it, it it does cause, it does cause disconnection, confusion as a child. And it is, it is difficult to grow up in, in, in that type of environment. And when I look at you now, I'm amazed 
that you can overcome all of these challenges and you are so inspiring. Like, I feel like you are an absolute powerhouse of a woman raising this amazing family, running an early learning academy, doing your PhD in early childhood education. There are so many aspects, plus you run marathons, <laughs> right? Like that I can't imagine because movement has always been my biggest challenge. And that is something I aspire to do one day. Um, it's incredible how much we can overcome. And I feel like we both have a passion for building empowered families because of the childhood experiences that we've had. And what's amazing is that we both have amazing relationships with our family members now and with our parents now. And I feel like that forgiveness piece is so key because all parents are doing the best that they knew how at the time. Yeah. And there is no one to blame and there's no, it's nobody's fault. It's, we always have to look at the capacity of the parent and what their experience has been, what they're going through and what their pain is, because yeah. that is the place that they are going to parent from. And that's why we do the work we do to work with moms who can really parent from a healed place. Yes. And I think that healing is so key because we do come from um, a place where we needed to heal ourselves. And when we were able to heal ourselves, we're able to transcend that into our daughters as well and really be in a place where we can where we can really fully be ourselves and be our most authentic selves. So then that way they are able to live their most authentic lives. And this is, this is what I stand for, authenticity. So living our true authentic selves, the way that we were born, these bright lights that came into the world, I really believe that the more we heal, the more our children heal. You know, when you're saying that, so I read this book to Malaya. It's called The Crown on Your Head by Nancy Tilburn, I believe. Til Tillman? I love that Tillman. book. Oh my goodness. That is an incredible book. And if you haven't heard of it, it is a book that talks about when you are born, there's a crown on your head. And everybody's crown looks different. But here's the thing. Everyone has a crown. And this crown is yours. And it's part of you. It might change. It might grow. It might get smaller. It might get larger. But it's yours. You are born with this crown. And your neighbor is born with their crown. And even though it looks different, we are all... Innately, we are all connected by this aspect of just humanity, of being human. And that's something I think is so important to note and realize that we're all ourselves. We are all have a unique blueprint that we are born with. 
But what happens as we get older, we tend to parent with our, the parenting styles maybe that we have been brought up with or what society tells us to do. And then that changes the blueprint of our children and that authenticity is then taken away. When you look at a child that goes into kindergarten or preschool, there's so much curiosity because they want to learn and they ask a lot of questions. But as we go through school, we're taught not to ask questions and just answer them, right? And really enabling the child to see that you do have a question, it does matter, your voice matters, and you have the right to answer, to, to get that answer and to ask that question is so foundational and fundamental to build their self-concept, to build self-esteem and to build self-confidence in this ever-changing world. That's beautiful. We are all so unique, you're right. And we want to, my entire goal when I raise my daughter is to keep her spirit alive, to keep her spirit intact the way that she came in and let her navigate life by showing me what she is made of, what she's meant to do and having me just follow that whatever she's illuminating to me. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And that just made my heart sing because a lot of the times, of course, we want our children to be successful. But if somebody asks me what I really want for my children, it's just to be mm -hmm. and to be themselves. If my daughter's don't get into Harvard. It's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of people, quite honestly, will look at me. And yes, I know that I have achieved a lot, but they assume that I want that for my children. But the truth of the matter is, is I want for my children what they want for themselves. They do not have to be doing a PhD. I do a PhD, not because I feel like I have to. I'm doing a PhD because I love working with children and it makes me a better teacher and it makes me a better parent. That's why I'm doing it. And if they want to do a PhD because for, for innate reasons for themselves, that's fantastic. I would say go for it. But if they want to go to and do theater and go into Broadway, that's fantastic as well. Whatever their innate capabilities, ab abilities, mm -hmm. and interests are, that is what I want them to pursue. Yes, yes. I mean, I love studying too. I'm a research fanatic. I love studying. I've always loved school. I've always thrived in school. After university, I worked in the corporate world first before I went into teaching, but I've always been a teacher at heart. And I feel like as a parent, I'm more of a, of a guide and a teacher as my child is my biggest teacher, right? To show me what her gifts are and what she's been brought into this world to, to I don't even want to use the word, word achieve. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. but what she's been brought into the world to show up as, right? And I, I mean, I'm very happy for her to, to study and all of that stuff because I'm constantly studying. I'm always, I have to stop myself from taking courses. Uh, but I can <laughs> both exactly. We were very similar that way. Um, but I can see that she is not, she's naturally academically inclined, but it's more, it's not this, you know, passion and love for school, like what I had. Right. And she's more of an artistic person and yeah. into the arts. And, and I think that's incredible. And I just want to follow her lead. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. And uh, I feel the exact same way about about Mayal. And if she goes into academics, that's great. If she goes into something else, as long as she finds joy mm -hmm. in joy in what she wants to do, that is when she is going to feel and be successful. And I think with that also comes the concept of service, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when you feel joy within yourself and what you're doing, then you are able to really um, want to share that with others. And that's what we're doing here today. We have this passion to serve others because we do find joy within it. And we're, we find joy within it because we are being our most true authentic self. And, you know, with that being said, I want to ask you, what is it, what else do you want to learn in this lifetime? Is there anything else that you want to learn? Oh, that is such a good question because, oh my goodness, learning does not stop, does it? Okay, well, to, I'll give you something that's a little less serious and then maybe <laughs> something that's more serious, but I do my less serious one. So typically... I like to work out and I work out quite a bit. And today I was, after my run, um, I wanted to switch things up a little bit. And I was doing this dance workout with kickboxing and the kickboxing fine part is fine because it's very athletic, but the dance part, oh my God, I have no coordination. Like Mayal is completely coordinated and loves dance and she's such a good dancer. And so is my husband, Faisal. And um, I'm not okay, like at all. So if I could, if I could learn to be a little bit more coordinated or learn a step, some steps to a dance, that's gonna be pretty pretty interesting for me. Quite a challenge there. Um, but in terms of learning something more serious in that would affect lifelong, I think that I would say I really want to learn more about different cultures around different ancestry, learning more about people in our world and where they've come from. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And in my book back home, I also talk a lot about this, right? So I talk about um, where we've in a very discreet kind of way for children that we all come from 
different places, but the end outcome is this, this connection that we have of being human and values that we have. But I would love to know more about where these values have come from. You know, that's, a, that's interesting because I, first of all, I love your book back home. I ordered it for Adia off of Amazon. Mm, yeah, thank you. It was, it left me in awe. It was amazing. And so, you know, speaking of learning things, uh, when you talk about learning about other cultures, I'm so interested in learning the ancient wisdom and practices of the East. Oh, yes. Because yes. I feel like they really understood the how to stay connected to life, right? And they had all these practices of mind, body, spirit practices that were so effective at living your best life and being your best self. And now I feel like they are needed more than ever in this lifetime. They totally are. You're absolutely right. And I was trying to learn a little bit more about um, Ayurveda Mm -hmm. and different Vedic techniques, because I do, as you said, think that it's one day it's going to become so mainstream, I feel. And it's going to be something that's going to be rooted in our um, Canadian or Western culture. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be a mix, but there's so much to learn. And the wisdom. The it's wisdom, absolutely incredible. Yeah, hmm. yeah. No, for sure. I think that is just so, so important and would be so fascinating to, to learn more about. Now, I talked a little bit about my day and what my lifestyle is, but I want to know more about your lifestyle. What does your day usually look like? <laughs> well, my husband and I always get made fun of because we are not morning people. <laughs> and I always say because we're the people that can stay up all night, right? But uh, not not doing that anymore, obviously. But yeah, I, I do love to sleep in. I never start my mornings very early. My mornings are all about me. And they're very quiet, gentle, easy. And I usually... Uh, start my day. I start setting my intentions the night before. So I know exactly what I'm going to be accomplishing in on the next day. And then I, I, I start my day with setting my intentions, I say a small prayer. I don't meditate until later in the day, because I feel like that's when I need it. But I, I love meditation. I've been doing it since for about seven years now. And I feel like it's a key part of of my life. Uh, I cannot start my day afterwards without taking a shower. I have to take a shower. And so I do that. I get ready. I feel really good. And I'm usually doing some type of fasting for about 16 hours a day. I don't have breakfast until later, uh, later in the morning. And so I'm usually eating in that eight hour window uh, for the day. I have three meals a day. I never snack that much. I feel I don't need to. My food is so nourishing to me and I've really figured out a way to eat that works for my body. Um, At night, 
I have some rituals with Adia that I that we do, and we always do a gratitude practice at night. And I've gotten her into that. We do pray as a family, just very briefly, and I always do some EFT or tapping as we call it, um, with her every single night, I, I do that. We do that to calm the nervous system. And I'll probably spend a, an episode talking about that at some point. That is so amazing. I would love to learn more about EFT. And I know you do this quite a bit with the clients that you work with as well. Uh, and I, I've seen benefits from that. I myself would love to learn more about that. So I'm really looking forward to that episode as well. And your day, I love how you say that you set the intention the night before, because I think that that is really important. I know we're going to talk about intentions and parenting with intention in a future episode, but I think it's just so important to make that a practice just like you have and really get into a place where your day and subsequent weeks and months and years are going to be purposeful, but it starts with that intention and really sure. setting it. And doing that with our kids is something that is uh, quite life altering, I would say. Uh, in fact, this morning when I was dropping my out to school for the first time, I've been trying to set intentions with her. Trying is the key word. Um, for a while. And today she actually came and said it herself. My intention today is, <laughs> and she, she's amazing. going on with it. Yeah. So I love how you start your day. And I love that you said that it's so gentle. And that's something that I myself struggle with because my day is not gentle at all. It's very fast paced. My mornings revolve around uh, doing my runs and doing my work, working out before I start my day. But in the same token, that is something that I need, particularly with my runs. I need to get the movement in before I start my day. It sets me up. I need to go out in nature. I need to connect with something bigger than myself. And running provides that for me. I love that you run. My husband also started running last year and he loves it too. And so for me, my the best form of exercise that I enjoy is dancing. I love to dance. I, I'm not a professional dancer, but we're having a lot of impromptu dance parties in our house these days. <laughs> and I do find that even when I had was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, if I would spend an evening dancing, that pain would would be so less at that time. At that time, I don't have any pain now, but back then, I mean, all those endorphins and just loosening the body up and releasing all that tension. I find dancing is such uh, it's great therapy for me. Yeah, and it's about that movement, right? And the different way your body moves and the different um, connections that are made neurologically as well when you do move your body. It's a very much a, a mind-body connection that happens when you're dancing or a movement in itself. Sometimes there's even um, a lot of people that say it's active meditation of some sort as well, right? Yes, yes. And even 
walking meditation, moving meditation, it's so important because what happens is our body needs to move energy. Otherwise, emotions get stuck in there. Thoughts get stuck in there. Our bodies become stagnant and that's when we feel stuck. Yeah, I completely agree. And energy, right? And when you're moving energy, having motion, right, is so important for emotion, right? And it's exactly something that we, if we're not consciously aware of, it can definitely slide. But when you do become consciously aware of it, and you build upon it, and we're not you're, I'm not, we're not saying to go out and do a run every day, but we are, what really helps is just to have some sort of movement built into your day. Yes. And for me, that's walking. I try to get a daily walk in, whether it's cold outside or warm outside. I feel like I really need that. Even if it's just 20 minutes to 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is so helpful in so many levels. And mm-hmm. you talked a little bit about your diet. Do you oh. want to give a little bit more information about what you mean about your diet? So like I said, I, I vomited the first 10 years of my life. So I did not grow up having a good gut health foundation. So which is key and causing so many ailments and illnesses. And I'm very passionate about establishing good gut health for children in the first seven years of their life. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest passions I have. And when In 2009, when I stopped teaching and I started healing, I actually discovered uh, living a gluten-free diet was really helpful for me. And as I started to learn more about the dangers of gluten or the inflammatory uh, responses it causes in the body, I, I became very intrigued. And then when I learned about certain things in our diet. I mean, I was addicted to sugar at one point. Now I have no desire for any sugar. I can have something and enjoy it, but I don't have an addiction. And so I have stuck to this lifestyle of eating uh, no wheat, uh, no dairy. And I have also encouraged my daughter to stick to a gluten-free diet. Um, I wouldn't call it a diet or a fad. It's just really a way of life. And I think because I've gained some knowledge around this topic, I would love to do an episode on this as well, on gut health and and what to eat. But I feel so much better, mm-hmm. right? And I was able to heal my gut. And I don't know if I was ever celiac by the time I got the testing. I had not been eating gluten for a few months, so it does not, it may not have shown up, but I know that you also follow this lifestyle. Yes. So I do follow a very healthy lifestyle in terms of what I put into my body. And it's also uh, a lifestyle that's very compassionate. And I'll talk a bit about that, but in a few years ago, maybe about four or five years ago, I my iron level, my hemoglobin levels were so low that I had to get blood transfusions. And so when the internal doctor was able to 
figure out what was going on, they found that I actually do have celiac disease. And what was happening is the gluten that I was eating was destroying the cilia in my body, which then that I wasn't able to absorb any iron. And that was is what was causing the whole low hemoglobin. So I did adopt a, a gluten-free lifestyle. But on top of that, I am also vegan. And I am vegan because I really don't want to eat anything that has been uh, hurt. <laughs> so mm-hmm. animal mm-hmm. products, I, I stay away from because of the torture that I feel as though um, the animals may have gone through. And there's so many different beliefs around that. And that's just my, my belief. Um, and that's what I also have found just to help me in terms of athletics as well. So when I am cutting out the dairy, for example, um, or the the processed foods, that I am able able to be more in myself and I'm more able to um, be more true and just be more whole. So I do try, I don't push this on my daughter, but... I do model it for her. And there are times where she wants to have meat and my husband eats meat and she will eat meat. She just had chicken wings yesterday and I'm not (laughs) going to stop that, right? That's something that she wants to do, but it is something that I follow, but I do firmly believe in a healthy lifestyle that works for you and your family. I can absolutely relate to that and wanting to live the compassionate lifestyle. So for 14 years of my life, during two different periods, one period for seven years, and then another period for seven years, I was a vegetarian. And the reason I went back to meat is because I felt that my body does better on meat. And I feel amazing, energetic. And I do, I do feel that at some point in my life, I may go back to being a vegetarian because I've never done it with in a healthy state. I've never done it when I'm in a healthy state. So I don't know if there would be a difference there, but a few weeks ago, actually, my husband and I, and my daughter, we did do a week of veggie meals and it felt wonderful actually. So I, I do believe in balance and I feel that everybody's different and whatever works for anybody yeah. is what, you know, somebody should adopt as their yeah. eating lifestyle for sure. Yes. And, you know, just to go back to that, even when I was pregnant, I would have um, some, yo- I wasn't able to keep much down, but I was able to keep yogurt down and I would have full fat yogurt, right? Because that is what my body needed and to help nurture the growing baby inside of me. So you're absolutely right. You need to do what works for your body mm-hmm. and what you're able to get energy from, right? You, you don't want to feel as though you can't accomplish certain tasks or get out of your bed or feel so low that you can't move on. And that's what a healthy lifestyle means for me, right? Being able to get up, find joy, be active and be able to 
feel as though you're able to accomplish the intentions or the goals that you've set out for yourself. I completely agree. That's exactly what I feel a life, healthy lifestyle entails and being able to find the joy in every day and not having emotions that bog you down, right? And we'll talk a lot about emotional health in our episodes. Um, And I want to say there's no emotion that is bad or good. I mean, we need to feel all of them. Uh, But that is definitely a topic we'll be touching upon. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. What is it that most people don't know about you? Well, most (laughs) people don't know that I cannot swim. Oh, really? Yes, you're surprised too. (laughs) So I cannot swim because I have this fear of water. um, And it's something I can't overcome. And one of my goals, I better say it out loud, is to do an Ironman. And what's holding me back is (laughs) the swimming part. I got the running down part fine. I got the biking down fine, but it's the swimming part. So... That is um, something most people don't know about me that um, hopefully I'll be able to overcome. And what about about you? I would love to know something that someone might not know about you. Uh, For me, I mean, I love swimming. I love the water. I I feel like it's a life skill. I, 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 believe all kids should should be in um should learn that as a skill Mm -hmm. I feel like it is definitely a life skill so I'm really excited uh to to see you do that Ironman one day (laughs) (laughs) now that it's out there in the universe yeah publish it hopefully definitely we talked a little bit about teachers and I would love to know who your biggest teacher has been Yes. So first, let me answer your question about what people don't know about me. I, I feel that people don't know how intuitive I really am. I live my entire life on intuition and I feel everything of everybody. (laughs) And so I am a definitely an empath, but I used to feel like it's a curse. And now I feel like it's such a gift because it gives me so much uh, information when I'm working with someone. And I feel that it is something that I have developed on my own over the years. And it's not something that I uh, talk about often. Um, but uh, something that guides guides you quite a bit as well it definitely guides me in my life and uh, I mean I love it I I do love I do love it and so my biggest teacher I would say oh my god I've had so many mentors so many teachers but I would say my parents uh, my mom especially she has taught me who I want to be and who I don't want to be uh, just by watching her live her life. And I feel like that's been a, a, a person in my life that I've come into this lifetime uh, to encounter and, at a deep level and who has brought a lot of teachings to me, even at a soul level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that is so profound. And you also touched a bit on how Adia is also one of your teachers. And that's exactly how I feel as well. I feel as though 
Mayal, I think, has been my biggest teacher. When I became a mother, something changed. I can't put my finger on it, but she came into this world for a reason, as all of our kids do. And for me, I do feel as though it was to show me um, something. And she through her interactions and day-to-day lives. And I'm sure Malaya does as well, but because she's so young right now, uh, it's more about me giving to her. But Mayel has definitely taught me so much about my own self and about my own belief systems and how I was parented and how I want to change old beliefs and old parenting patterns that I was brought up with. Oh, I love that. I love that. Our children give us the most profound opportunity to change where we've come from Mm -hmm. and to heal the lineage and to create future generations that are truly living up to their potential. Yes, absolutely. I think that is so important to note and to just sit with, right? And to just really, really acknowledge that even just for a few moments, I think is just, it it, it changes a perception, it changes a viewpoint and um, puts you in a different state of mind for sure. And that alone brings me so much joy. Doesn't it? It absolutely Mm -hmm. does. And like, even we're on Zoom right now, but I can see the smile on your face and the smile on my face when we talk about our children and the joy that they bring us. So I think that we are maybe running low on time. So let's, you know what? Let's do some rapid fire questions. Oh yeah, I love this. This is my favorite part. I love (laughs) rapid fire. So what I'm going to do, Dimple, is I'm going to ask you a few questions and then you can rapid fire back right to me. Sure. All right. Ready? So not much thinking. You're just going to answer. Okay. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. Okay. Favorite food? Oh, gosh. Uh, lasagna. Your favorite form of exercise? Dancing. Okay. Hot or cold? Hot. Beaches or sightseeing? Sightseeing. Chocolate or vanilla? Both. (laughs) (laughs) Your biggest pet peeve? Oh, my biggest pet peeve is inauthenticity and lying. Mm. And what impresses you? Oh, uh, definitely intellect and emotional intelligence. And when somebody is just living from their heart, like joyously from their heart, I'm so impressed when people are uh, giving generously from their heart and living openly. So living openly, I guess. Yeah. Living openly. Yeah. And Let's talk a little bit about emojis. What are your most used emojis? (laughs) Definitely hearts and uh, laughing face. Yeah. (laughs) And I use, um, yeah, smiley face a lot. 
I think those are my three top. Your two, your three top. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. what about some items you can't live without? What would those be? <laughs> oh, well, definitely lip gloss and moisturizer, mm-hmm. my face oil, toothbrush. <laughs> yeah. All the basic necessities for sure. And one more, we talk a little bit about when we're on the, when we talk to each other about some of our Netflix shows that we watch, what was the last Netflix series that you watched? Oh, the last one was Ginny and Georgia. Oh yes, I love <laughs> Ginny and Georgia. I really loved interesting, it. Interesting, really interesting. Yes. So uh, I'm going to ask you. Okay, I'm going to ask you some of the same ones. Okay. All right. So we already know you're a morning person. <laughs> Your favorite yeah, food. Thing. I had to train myself to be a morning person. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I'm trying to train myself to be. Not necessarily a 5 a.m. person, but maybe an earlier in the morning person. <laughs> yeah, um, it is something you can train yourself in if, Definitely. It, if it works, right? If it works for you. Definitely. What's your favorite food? Natural peanut butter. Ooh, and I'm anaphylactic allergic to yeah. peanuts. So I could never eat peanut butter in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> Beaches or sightseeing? Sightseeing. Hot or cold? cold chocolate or vanilla vanilla apple or android apple all the way the last netflix series you watched oh goodness so the last one we just finished it my husband and i it's called serpent Hmm. really really good based on a true story wow highly recommend a few items you can't live without. So I'm going to say my um, Apple Watch because <laughs> I love tracking my uh, workouts and the weather and all of that stuff. And my running shoes is another one. And the last one I'm going to say is probably my Lululemon pants because I live in them. Nice. I also have been living in my pants, Lululemon pants. I think many people probably have been. What are your most used emojis? So I use the heart. I use a laughing face and I use, I usually use the laughing face that's turned. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> the tilted one? Yeah, yeah, I love that one. And I use the prayer hands quite a bit. Oh yes, that's the one. I use that a lot too. That a lot. Very yes. similar. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is when people put other people down. Yes. Yeah. Mean girl stuff is also a pet peeve. Of mine. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, what is the best compliment you've ever received? Oh, that's interesting. <sighs> it's a tough one. That is a tough one. I think I'm going to have to really say the biggest compliment is you look very calm. I think that really says a lot. It just means that I'm in a place where I am myself and 
I am okay with what's going on and my mind is calm and my body's calm. That, you know what, that is an amazing compliment because I also, I also feel so proud of myself when I'm in that state. Right. Right. That I've been able to reach that state in my life, that that is the state that most of the time I can stay in. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I, I feel like it's a big lifetime achievement for me. Yeah. And it definitely. is definitely a beautiful compliment for sure. And what do you and your friend, what do your friends and family make fun of you for? Oh, definitely being a complete, in their words, geek. Like I will have to research. Everything is based on research. And um, they think that I research way too much. That's one thing that I get made fun of. The other thing is, is the way that I talk, I talk like a kindergarten teacher all the time. I've said and, that to you. Yeah, you said that to me too. And I, I can't help it. That's just well, the way that I talk. <laughs> that's so funny. And on a scale of one to 10, how cool are you? It would depend on who you ask. If you ask Malaya, she would probably say, I'm the coolest person in the world. But if you ask Mayel, I think she would say a two or three. <laughs> I think Adia still thinks I'm the coolest person. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> so she still cool. thinks that. So, and, and you know what? The funny thing is when you're saying what family and friends make fun of you for, I'm also a research fanatic. Yes, you are. But uh, what they actually make fun of me for is for taking too long to brush my teeth. Oh. Are you serious? Yes, I I don't know why it takes so long. And it was so funny when I was in university living with uh, some of my best friends who are still my best friends now. When one of them said a speech at my baby shower, she said, or my maybe it was my bridal shower. She said that she thinks that I brush each tooth individually. (laughs) So out of curiosity, how long does it take you to brush your teeth? I mean, I think the brushing part is really only five minutes, but the reason the whole process takes long is because washing your face, taking your makeup off, doing, my husband calls it my closing ceremonies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that I feel like people really make fun of me for that. Oh, that is really hilarious. So I think that... We have completed our first episode. I I feel like we've covered so much. I think so too. And I think we've talked about so much, our wishes for our children, what being a mom is to us, what brings us joy as a mom. And we've gotten to know about each one of us a little bit better. And I'm sure our audience has gotten to know about each, each of us as well. Yeah. And, you know, I do have one more question for you that I think it's a good one to put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what is your biggest fear? Oh, now my biggest fear for myself or my biggest fear for, or for your child or for yourself. My biggest fear is that my child, children, I have two now, <laughs> that my children will not follow their true path and will succumb to societal 
expectations. Mm, that's huge. That is huge. Um, and for yourself, that is your fear for yourself. Yes. And for, for yourself as well. Yeah. That is the fear. The fear is that my child will be so succumbed to that. Mm-hmm. You know what? I have a similar fear that that Adya will be uh, get caught up in in not be able to find the community of children who are like minded and who are. Uh, able to be as free as she is I, I I don't know if that's the right way of saying it but no, I completely understand what you're saying and I think that that is so key because what happens is when kids get older they find or they look for a tribe right and if they aren't able to find a tribe that suits their needs they're going to change their needs to suit a tribe Exactly. Exactly. We want our kids to find their tribe, their tribe that that fits who they are, who they are that you just you summed it up so beautifully for me. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that that concludes our first episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you or not see you, but (laughs) we will have you join us hope you will join us again on our second episode so thank you for listening thank you and we will talk to you soon bye thank you for joining us on the i am mom parenting journey if you enjoyed today's episode please follow us and head on over to itunes to leave us a review we invite you to check out the show notes for this episode and click on the link to join our free Facebook community to stay connected and continue the conversation with other like-minded moms. Until next time, stay inspired, take action, and create magic.